Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm glad all of you are here to listen to some poetry, to listen to a conversation. This evening, I am pleased to welcome poet and writer Ash Good to the program. Ash is a non-binary. What happened here? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it happens every week. Ash is a non-binary queer poet and designer living, playing, and working in one of my favorite places in the world, Portland, Oregon. They are the author of five books and chapbooks including most recently, Us Clumsy Gods, from what book, books press, as well as the sheet, as well as the co-founding answer, oh, we'll cut this out, at First Matter Press, which is a 501 nonprofit. They are also a guide, curator, and reader for a number of fascinating projects. Their poetry has been awarded Best of the net, nominated, excuse me, and has appeared in a number of journals and magazines. Ash, what have you done to me? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, I hope the rest of this is as exciting <laughs> as that bio was. And I said that I would never do that again. What have you done to me? <laughs> well, you know, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me so much. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Oh, very nice. I appreciate that. Ash, let's, let's begin this poetic journey. What is poetry? What is poetry? We're just going to get right in there. So yes. um been thinking a lot about poetry as a hologram. And the reason I've been thinking about that is because if you um, – Think about this little thing that takes up a couple of square centimeters on a page, um, but then kind of unfolds into a world of its own within that space so that all of a sudden dimensions happen and you can get all around these things from different points of view. Um, I think that's kind of the magic of a poem is that there's like um, this intricate world building in a really small amount of space. And so that's how we can start to say things that are unsayable. Tell me more about the hologram. That's an interesting concept. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, like, I'm just so interested in it, um, how it holds so much information and so many layers in such a small space. And so I think that's, mm-hmm. that's really interesting to me. And I am also interested in how it changes from every point of view that you look at it from. And I think poems mm-hmm. often do that, like, different people bring different meanings to poems in really interesting ways. Um, and I also, um, I think the, uh, the original kind of underlying word of hologram, holograph, uh, yes. refers, 
refer, referred to these um, manuscripts that were kind of written by one person, right? You could tell they were um, all in the same handwriting, so therefore authentic. And that, that to me informs the voice of poetry in a really interesting way. So it's kind of just like this metaphor I've been thinking about and unraveling for a while um, when, I, when I start to think about poetry. All right, very nice. So with that, why is it important? Why, why, is, why is poetry important? Well, I think that um, one of my favorite poets is Rumi, and there's a translated Rumi line that says, there is a voice that doesn't use words, listen. And I think if we do listen to that voice, and then we try to talk to others about it, poetry is kind of the only way to talk about what that Mm -hmm. voice that doesn't use words has to say. Um, And so that's, that's kind of that's a big why for me is it it encompasses this unsayable space, which I think is really exciting. Um, I also feel like um, it's a powerful lens for like gratitude and expanding awareness in a way that maybe not all writing that is more informational is like, there's a a way that you can um, give a transmission of emotion through poetry that I think is very, very special to it as an art form. So from your perspective, poetry is about emotion. I think, I think that that's a big part of it. I think there's something, something about intuitive feeling that belongs in poetry that feels like a big piece of the pie for me. It's not the whole pie, but it's, it's important. Well, can a person who does not express or feel emotions, can they be called a poet? I mean, if they called themselves one, I certainly wouldn't argue with that. <laughs> okay, I think, okay, okay. I, I, I think that there are... Um, I think that there are certainly types of poems and examples of poems that are perhaps more analytic or more mathematical or um, that kind of encompass these, uh, these ways of thinking as well. It's not so much the way I experience poetry or the way I write poetry, but I don't, I think there's room for that in poetry, whatever poetry is. What is the most difficult part of your artistic process? Um, you know, what used to be the most difficult part was just like knowing how to, knowing how to feel about something, knowing how to make it better. Um, but when I switched to um, really relating in community around craft a few years ago, that part became much, much easier. So I think, I think mm-hmm. one of the big challenges is, is finding a community where you feel like you get accurate reflections from those around yes. you that, that want to engage in craft. And so when you have that, then you're, you're all of a sudden in a very rich process and it all becomes much easier. Wow. Very nice. Can you share a poem? Um, yeah, sure. I'd love to read a poem. Um, so I'm going to start. Let me get it here. I'm going to start with this poem called I haven't. And, um, I haven't came from a time kind of deep in the uh, still quarantine time of the pandemic um, when we weren't really sure what was happening in the world. And um, here where I live in Portland, things were very intense. There was a lot of unrest and protest happening in the streets. 
um, and I experienced um, quite a few incidences over a very short period of time that were very unsettling to my nervous system. And then there was also a really terrible fire season. So smoke filled our city for weeks on end and it was very apocalyptic. <laughs> um, and I found, I found during that time that it was very hard for me to write. And this was the first poem that I wrote after time. It's called, I haven't one since the artichoke bloomed, since I was shocked out of my foot bones, since it rained, since sun streamed through the prisms again, since yesterday's nap with the maple, since trumpet guy played in my driveway and a girl's shoulder oozed from less lethal weapons and I gave away every cold LaCroix in the fridge to protest her cheers, viva la revolution. Not since the ash started falling again, since the wind growled over the dinner plate dahlia, since I accidentally sprayed myself full tilt with the hose. I haven't since the fire caught, not since that first hug in months. Two, when it's been this long and a dam breaks, do you two wonder, is this pain or pleasure? If I were trying to make a friend feel better, I would say, you are good, despite this gnawing pressure to be supernatural. Here, have a recipe to laugh, cry, feel, write. Get semi alone and settle in the dark, exalted and also kneeling to yourself. Usually, it's enough to say one basic truth out loud. I am a person sitting on a floor in a body I work so hard to know in a space I have curated to call home. Thanks so much. Wow, that line, in a body I've worked so hard to, what was the end of it? Um, to know. To know. Wow. I was thinking to learn, but to know. <laughs> Is a pool letting your guard down or building a wall edge? I think if you're going to be a exceptional poet, it is a um, it's a kind of a healthily boundaried letting in. So I, I understand what I want to share. I understand how it's transformed me. And I share it openly, but not with any of my own stickiness or get, leaving, leaving the listener in the muck, right? Like I want to bring them back out if I take them into the dark forest, I like to say. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, is that particular form that you shared in the clumsy dot? Um, I haven't. This last this last one I just read. Yes, one that you just read, yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Well, let's segue into the clumsy dots. Tell me what inspired it. I want to hear about the title. <laughs> There's a lot of things <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, tell um, me. For sure. So um, these these were poems I was writing in 2020 and 2021. 
Um, and I think um, they really came out of um, my own personal experience of kind of losing a, a lot of ancestors at the same time. I lost um, four of my elders within a span of a handful of years. And so mm-hmm. I was I was grappling with um, a, a lot of processing the grief of that, but also dealing with these um, really profound experiences of the unknown as these people I was close to cross the threshold into, you know, whatever comes after here. Um, mm-hmm. And that uh, was, a, it was a lot to grapple with and it was, you know, really juicy to get into in my poetry. And then that is kind of set against the stage of this um, world that is tossed into unknown where we're questioning, you know, what, what, does our future look like when yesterday it seemed so clear and now I'm not, not really sure anymore. Um, and also um, I think there is this uh, huge uh, opening of a question of what is, what does justice really look like and what does justice look like for everyone and how do we participate in a, in a way that um, is helpful for us and helpful for our bodies and how do we stay um, with our bodies when we're having a bunch of turbulent experiences. And so these are all the things that were swirling around for me when I wrote these poems. So the title, Clumsy Gosh. You know, like as I shared with you prior to the show, I've talked to a lot of people, but that particular title stands out. Why, why is the title that? What's the meaning um, so that title is uh, in a in a line in in one of the poems, and um, I think that when it when it jumped out of the poem to me as the title of the entire book, I was really um, moving through these these thresholds of I, we, me, us, you know, all of these things, and so it seemed appropriate to. Um, you know, bring the title into the land of us, you know, like bring the, bring the title yes. into a place that, that feels like an in- invitation to all of us grappling with these themes. Um, right. And then, um, of course, we know that us clumsy gods is not particularly uh, gram- grammatically correct as a singular phrase. Mm-hmm. With, within the context of the poem, it, it is grammatically correct, um, but the way it's plucked out, it becomes not. And um, I was interested in that, um, and breaking the language in that way, I guess, or being irreverent in that way, because I think irreverence um, has a, a big place in, in the work I do on the page. Um, mm-hmm. And I uh, am also really in this time grappling with, like, how how do I, as a person who um, has really strived to be awake and be aware um, you know, how do I also be messy? Because this time is hard and we're, we're going to be messy. And so um, to me, the title just really, really started to encompass all of, all of that, made space for both to happen at the same time. Right. You know, I'm looking at the cover as we talk. It's quite striking. Tell me about it. What's the process for developing it? Yeah, so um, this this cover comes from um, an artist named uh, Gronk, and Gronk is a Chicano artist working in L.A., um, and he is extraordinarily prolific. He just, you know, makes a ton of work, and um, you can find his work on all of the covers from What Books Press, and this particular piece is kind of special um, because it's actually not a work on paper. It comes from a photograph of a door in the artist's studio, um, where he had kind of painted these 
uh, um, body shapes that I, sometimes I see hands, sometimes I see bodies that are, you know, either sinking or floating. There's a lot of both ands happening in this cover art. Um, and it's also a, a door, obviously, that goes to somewhere and we don't mm-hmm. know where. So there's that lovely <laughs> unknown happening. Right. So It's an intriguing cover. It makes me want to know more. Please share more. <laughs> Please share more. Um, so I think what I'll... I think what I'll read next is um, when I when I selected this particular art for the cover, my editor suggested it, and I was like, "Well, it's kind of dark. I don't I don't know if it if my poems are that dark." And then I went back to the manuscript and I read the first poem, and I was like, "Oh, there's there's a lot happening there, and it's kind of dark." So I'll I'll share that one next. Okay. So, so this is the um, first poem in the book, and it's called "Sound of Stay and Grow Comes Out of the Same Mouth." And this was written after I read a poem by Major Jackson. One, let me begin again. Soft parts out, pinchers plush and unserrated. I am full of easy ways to depart my known body. Slowly examine misgivings by turning the shells in space. Reader, I should have warned you. We are tender and distracted. This time, let me be three futures ahead with no grit lost fast forwarding. I'll be clear. I am siphoning invasive desires out of my groundwater, spilling them back into lost and found. Is this yours? Did you dream of being a prodigy or savant or mother? I dream and dream textures and aperitifs and flights and revelations. Not a crumb leaves me hungry to conjure. So in some sense, not even dreaming in this flickering picture, left explainable only to alter. Let me begin again by bowing and a confession to I wish the evaporated places that shaped me were bottled somewhere, corked and labeled, so on a quiet weekday morning, I could slip unnoticed into my first apartment. Yellow chandelier earrings, eventually lost like all earrings, exact and slit of light on record player, how purple the gladiolus. Sometimes I'd go back and slide open Auntie's kitchen drawer two in for the orange-handled scissors. Sometimes I'd wait for the smoke heavy and high planks of Uncle's cavern to hit my nose, or I'd sit in rain-humid breezeway, back against rough red brick and marvel at how long my legs are. Now I'm dreaming, and I'll be in the present when I wake, an oddly trustworthy sentence. Three. Ask what's real. No, what's happening. No, what's true. Synonyms. Reason's memory limited by three dimensions isn't reasonable. Are you too waiting for black hole to spaghettify your body while you force yourself to visit and revisit information before or beyond horizon? Reader, I know you can't possibly listen when I utter... We're always in such a rush. Mm. Thanks. Oh, 
always in such a rush. (laughs) (laughs) How is your book structured? The chapters? How is it structured? Um, So this particular book has three parts. Um, uh, The first part is called Inner Terrestrials. And um, they're... Uh, poems, like I said, that are really kind of grounded in the in the body experience of this unknown or uncertainty. And then there's um, kind of a bridging middle section. And that section is called planetesimals or skipping stones in atmosphere. And that is um, an assortment of uh, cento stanzas that I um, collected from other poets who read at online events primarily during the pandemic. Um, and so it's uh, kind of an ode to my, my writing community um, mm-hmm. and mixes many, many voices to create this um, long 19 stanza cento. And then mm-hmm. the last, last section is called Outer Giants. And we come back um, to um, these poems that are mine again um, that I feel um, are still grounded in the same experience, but are, are primarily opening up to somewhere larger. So, um, you know, with poems that, that have opening in them and they, they take us somewhere else. Please find randomly five poems in your book. I'd like the titles. I'd like to know the titles. Um, wait, I, I missed the first part of that question. Yes. I'd like to know the the Title of five poems. The so titles of any five poems. This is any, any five, five poems. Yes. Any five titles. Any five okay. poems. Yes. That's fun. Um, <laughs> let's let's see. We have altar offering to what we cannot know. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, in a multiplying universe we want to touch, but um, when we master that space between. Uh, you didn't realize this was how shoulders do push-ups. Uh, do I have one more? Is that five? All right. <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to say, I forgot you're supposed to say thank you. <laughs> I told you. All right, go ahead. <laughs> you said you had one more? Oh, I could do one more. Uh, we move and stars blur. All right, very nice. Thank you so much. The reason I ask that question for you to find those poems, what I'd like to know is, what role should a title play for? What's important to consider when you're titling a poem? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think for me, um, I... I read a lot of short titles, but I actually have some longer titles too. And I, I, I have a soft place in my heart for long titles. Um, I, I really like when at the end of putting a manuscript together, when you stack all the titles up, it almost reads like a poem. Um, so that's always mm-hmm. something that I'm thinking about, that those titles are kind of worthy lines in their own right. Um, and I was having a chat with other, a few other poets the other day about what makes a good title. And something I came to for myself is uh, I feel like I want the title to be the second best line in the poem. All right. Um, All right. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to, to really kind of punch you, but I also want to surprise you with something else later. 
<laughs> when you think about editing, the editing process, here we go. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it. Or others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on editing in this book uh, in particular? Yeah, um, so I find editing and community to be very helpful. Um, I, I workshop mm-hmm. often with other poets, and um, oftentimes those workshops are structured where um, the other poets will talk about your poem and give, give feedback without you participating in the conversation. I find that to be extremely valuable because I, I want to know what they're getting just off the page, not what I'm telling them about the poem. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I really love editing. Um, I find it to be really invigorating to kind of find that line of taking out everything except for what's essential and knowing when you get to that spot where you take out one thing too many and it, you know, something breaks. That's really exciting to me to find where that line is. Um, I mm-hmm. do think that um, I consider kind of the impetus of the poem or the reason for it or the sand that is the center of the pearl. I do think that's a living thing. And so I think that you need to be really mindful of how that's breathing when you're bringing edits to a poem. Um, Cause you can mm-hmm. certainly edit that out of a poem and, then it's not alive anymore, and none of us want that. We're speaking of a poem. Please share a poem. All right. I'm going to read this poem called Greedy. And um, what I'd like to say before I read this poem is that uh, many of the poems in my book arise out of my relationship to Earth, where I live in Oregon. And um, when I speak of these places, they're the stolen traditional and ancestral homes of the Multnomah, Chinook, Kathalamit, Tualatin, Kalapuya, Malala, uh, Stilettes, and many other tribes and bands of the Northwest Columbia and Willamette regions. And in this particular poem, um, Greedy, uh, Y East is the Multnomah people's name for the mountain that sits east of present-day Portland, which is also known as Mount Hood. Greedy. Long to live forever. Stunned, silent, plump body. Iridescent fly. Red tulip. Hour, maybe week, month. Nothing but delicate pattern. Transparent wing. Endless superpower hunger. Enhance until eye contact, but with all five fly eyes. Did you know fly has five eyes? Imagine simultaneous vision. One, fly. Two, hair wind strung. Three, unquarantined love. Four, Y East, distant, five, child inside reaching hand to fly. Oh, to be small, curious, smaller. Make me invisible unless someone looks closer. Sometimes already unseen until you look closer. All of it beautiful, cannot want. Another hour odd, crave all I have. 
Thank you. I need a moment to absorb it. <laughs> As how does a poem begin for you? With an idea, a form, or an image? Um, I do generative writing in community, and so we do timed free writes, um, just okay. handwriting to the page um, for a particular amount of time, sometimes without a prompt, sometimes with a prompt. And a poem always starts in that space for me. So just really opening to um, the kind of unconscious mind or the intuitive um, knowing that like this is a thing I have to write about. And not all of them turn into poems, but that's kind of that's what makes the mine. And then you go, you know, mining for the gems and then you polish the gems and so on. All right. I mean, marginal. Yes, marginal. And I'm flipping through poetry books. And I, and I find yours of Clumsy Gods. What piece of advice would you give me prior to reading the book? Hmm. I... I would say two things. I would I would say um, if it's comfortable for the reader to read poetry aloud whenever they can, um, because I think for myself at least, and probably many other poems, like we're thinking about sound a lot, and um, so I, I love it when poems can exist in a soundscape. And then mm -hmm. also, um, whether you're reading my book or any other poet's book, it's I find it incredibly helpful to go try to find a recording of that poem or that poet reading even just one poem. So you have mm -hmm. um, some idea of their voice in your head because we're mm -hmm. all such unique creatures and the ways that yes. we yes. speak and, and tell stories. Um, they live on the page, but sometimes they, uh, sometimes they'll just kind of crawl right out of the page if we get a little primer in sound. All right. You know, actually that's one of the questions that I, I usually ask, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Um, I, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I really like poems that have the everyday in them. So I, I think okay. that there, there are oftentimes things that I might read, quote, like a poet, but there's oftentimes phrases or expressions that will come through that are much more like the way I would just say it in conversation. Um, and I think mm -hmm. finding some, some tapestry of, of that is really interesting to me. All right. All right. What did, you, what did you learn about yourself writing this book? Who are you as a consequence of this book? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I spent most of the summer. This book came out in October, and so it had been done mm -hmm. for a while. And I spent most of the summer saying just like, oh, my gosh, like, what did I even make at a – and I think that's, um, that's part of the process we have as writers. I've experienced through several books is, you know, you're, when you're in it, you like have this sometimes really clear vision and this voice is coming to you and you're really just like on the thing. And then you kind of wrap it up and get a little distance from it. And it's kind of like you were in a fugue, like what, what even happened? And then you get a little more distance and it starts to clarify. And, and so I think um, for me, primarily, I really, um, I respect the amount of effort I put into my craft in this book. And um, these poems ap appear in, in a lot more journals than I was ever published in before I was writing in the, the poems in this book. And so I, I know that um, 
at the very least, what what I was exploring in my craft was interesting to my peers, and that's a mm-hmm. that's a really monumental feeling achievement as a poet. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a smile on my face because I believe it's important to feel proud about what you've accomplished, what you've written. Mm-hmm. You know, Ash, <laughs> all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours? What makes them great in your eyes? Yeah, um, I would say um, one of one of the um, you know I I was always writing poetry ever since I was a, a small small kid, um, but kind of like you know A B A B rhyme scheme stuff in my bed with a flashlight, and I think the book that really changed it for me was when I read I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou and yes. It, it just blew my mind, like what she was doing with language and, and what she was doing with language to um, take these very difficult and ugly human experiences and turn them into something just astoundingly beautiful um, through her craft. And I th- that's, that's when poetry became a different thing for me. Um, and so I, I'll honor her for that. Um, the writing of Bell Hooks and Octavia Butler, I also find to be um, really inspiring. Um, I mentioned Rumi earlier. I quite I have a soft spot in my heart for Rumi. Um, and, I, and I very much like Rilke, too. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I guess those are a few of my influences. All right. All right. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. question um uh, I feel like sometimes um I love I love the the perspective of frightened I feel like um there there are a couple poems that have frightened me in the uh amount of space I've been willing to take up in that poem in a way that is not really the way I experience myself in the world, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a good, it's a good kind of scary, but, um, you know, it's like kind of fun to let that fierceness out somewhere and 
you know, tend to be kind of a more quiet, reserved human in, in the three dimensions here. So it's fun to do it on the page. Um, and humbled, I think, I mean, I think there are a number of poems in this book where I, I go back and I read them and I'm like, like, they're just so beautiful. Where'd that come from? And I think like, that's, that's a lovely kind of humbling to feel as a poet, like this thing of like, well, that's not mine. I don't know where it comes, came from, but I'll take it, you know? <laughs> I like your spirit. <laughs> tell, tell me about a poem that you were proud of writing, but afraid to share for fear of possible misinterpretation? Um, you know, I have this, um, this poem in this book, and it's uh, called, Are You Ashamed Chest Still Swells When You Hear the National Anthem? Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it it feels like an edgy place to to call out, you know, experiences in the world and in my own body and, and these kinds of things. And it feels um, like, I don't, I don't know, like in those divisive spaces, that's where poetry starts to feel a little scary because you're not, you're not there with the poem when other people read it. Right. Would you feel comfortable sharing it? Um, sure. Sure. All right. I'll do that. All right. Are you ashamed chest still swells when you hear the national anthem? My radicalized bones daydream I go to the wrong rally undercover. Really put some time into imagining cute flag tattoo temporary on cheek under eye blonde hair neat in braids and I already own a patriotic colored ball cap on accident. Weird how this whole setup feels like child costume on national holiday, and they certainly won't believe I belong. And what will I say to people I hate, and I don't want to hate, and if I talk at all, I won't tell a single lie. Will I be found out if I say I'm scared for my country? It doesn't feel like there is room for us. And what comes of cosplay recon into belly of a white-hooded monster? What goes through my head after skin turning raw to scrub away tiny flag? How do you wash hate out of hair? Did you say, how do you wash hate out of hair? Yeah, I did. <laughs> you hit a home run with that one, Ash. <laughs> <laughs> you truly hit a home run. <laughs> that was Well, thanks for encouraging me to read that one because I definitely that one that one feels scary to me for sure. Yes, but it I also understand. feels very true and necessary. So yes. Well, speaking of that, does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? Does that hurt? Mean physically, physically. I don't mean physically. No, um, I think that I'm. I'm kind of actively interested in dismantling this idea of like the, like the, you know, the, the artist who has to be in pain to make things. I think that um, we certainly can make art about trauma and about pain, but I don't think us. I think that it could be 
um, really beautiful and community driven and um, a source of a lot of nutrition and a lot of healing. And so that's where it lives for me. You know, Ash, we live in a world where there's good, bad, ugly, and indifferent. So much is happening. As you shared, situations in Portland, situations all everywhere. Again, so much is happening. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Well, I think the first thing poets can do is is – dispel of the myth of a singular viewpoint. I think um, there's room for every poet who's writing poems and, and that just makes um, all the richer of a story of our humanity, of what we're seeing, of what we're experiencing, of what we have to share. Um, and I also, I uh, like there are so many roles that a poet can take. Like a poet can be a truth teller, a catharsis, a canary in a coal mine, you know, a dreamer. Um, but I think really they're, they're all of the poems and all of the poets are like offering these moments. They're kind of holding out these mm-hmm. moments where people have the opportunity to um, understand or be understood and that that is such a gift. I, I mean, mm-hmm. what what an important role to to do for our fellow humans, you know? Yes. How privileged do you think poetry is? Is it truly open to the masses? I think that publishing at large suffers from gatekeeping, and I think that mm-hmm. – there are plenty of people who are talking about that now, and I hope more people talk about it. And I think that we're making strides as a literary community to um, center accessibility, um, and that gives me a lot of hope. Um, I think in, con- in the contemporary poetry landscape, I think that there's quite a bit of accessibility. I, I worry about the ways that poetry sometimes still gets presented to young people. I remember learning about poetry when I was in high school and really feeling like it was not to me for me because it felt like it had a right answer. And it felt like um, these people were speaking from another time and another language that didn't, I didn't yes. feel seen when I read their poems. And um, so mm-hmm. it, that did not feel accessible to me. And so um, I, I think we're somewhere in the in-between, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of wandering out of one desert into another, right. maybe. I'm not sure. Um, but some exciting things are happening around that, for sure. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy listening to you share your, your way of being around writing. I really. Thank you. And what oh. I'd like us to do is to try to go back in your past. What was an early, early experience when you learned that poetic language had power? Um, I think I, so I talked a little bit about, you know, writing these kind of poems, uh, when I was really young, they're just kind of these little rhyming stanza type things that went on for far too long in my current editorial opinion. Um, (laughs) and I remember, um, at the time, um, I, as a young person, I would get overwhelmed by emotion really easily. And so if I was trying to express things to people I cared about, 
um, I couldn't do it very well in real time, which yeah. with the words out of my mouth, I would just kind of dissolve into a puddle and I wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. say what I, what I needed or wanted to say. Um, and that's where those, that's what those poems let me do, you know? So if I, if I wrote a poem to, to my best friend about, um, you know, how I, how I felt about our connection, um, I could put all of that emotion in there and, and not just have it be a mess. You know, a poem is like somewhere where I could take the messiness and like make it intelligible <laughs> on the page, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> How hard should you work to solve a poem? Well, that's a good question. Yes. Yeah. Um, I definitely have experiences with poems where, um, you know, I have a a small, you know, folder of things in progress that I haven't abandoned. Like I still think about them sometimes, but they just, there's something about them that's kind of like a Rubik's cube that I can't solve. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I think that happens because um, we're writing a poem and then we get to a, a place in our craft where we kind of like go up to another ledge and then that poem that kind of started on the below ledge, we can't figure out how to make it work in our new world and our new understanding yes. of language. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they mm-hmm. kind of become like these, I don't know, maybe I'll call them the ellipsis poems. They just kind of like dot, 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 like, well, <laughs> well will I ever figure that one out? I'm not sure. Um, or maybe I keep thinking about the idea. And so the idea comes back around in a new free write and I just start fresh or, or maybe two or three lines become the core of something else. So I, I guess I'm always thinking about them in terms of evolution rather than mm-hmm. just trying to drill down and make it work. Cause that, I, I think mm-hmm. that's a good way to suck the life out of anything. All right. Please share a poem. Please share a poem. All right. Let's find a good one. <laughs> I love that. Like reading Please poems and talking about poetry is my favorite. So we're, we're doing good here. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> You, you, you possess a joyous spirit when you Aww. talk about your craft. And um, I like it. So, oh, thank you. It's it's a great joy. Like it's, this is just it's a, it's a mm-hmm. thrill right now. Um, yeah. I'm gonna read this poem called "Nothing Is Stopping Us." Nothing is stopping us. One. Can we agree a good poem slays all that came before only to strengthen some institution of meaning? And there's always someone standing too long in front of the salad greens. Spiritual practice is keep our hands on our own damn cart. But what I really want to write about is impatience. As we hover midair and contorted, arms outstretched for earth and spines have never bent like this. And no wonder our necks are sore. Two. Begging, time, do your job, contain, give us something dependable. After all, 60 seconds is a minute and 60 minutes is an hour and 10,000 hours makes an expert. How do we trust in a crisis of zero egress? Sit still while cities decimated, pinprick black holes multiply to gulp another person's sun? Let's just swallow our own suns for safekeeping. It's been so long since we flew anywhere that wasn't astral. Remind us. Three. We climb down from trees gradually, and if you think you're invisible, someone is thinking of you right now. 
I guess when we die, we can care more about being forgotten or how we're remembered or maybe don't waste time on either. If we careen wildly off these ropes, do we slip into percolating body or is it dark? How thick is skin between dimensions? Either way, I imagine we hear thrums of small wet frogs. Four, while we're stuck, let's write letters that speak of the world to what already squeezed out through the door. Dear you, I cut lilacs from mama's yard and wasn't going to stop, but car pulled itself right, and my palms are itchy on cut grass, clearing your headstone, Mount St. Helens, Sentinel, gunpowder light explodes through dug firs, and nothing is stopping us. We can feel our hearts here. It hurts, but we feel our hearts. Thank you. Wow. As you think about Earth Cleanse God's in its totality, all of your things, do you want this book to resonate with everyone or a particular demographic? Um, I think... I think there might be moments in this book for, like, everyone's a weird word. I'm not sure, like, it, it's like a fantasy word, but I think there might be moments in this book that could appeal to everyone. Um, but I think it's, I think it's really talking to the person who uh, is committed to their growth mindset, who is looking okay. at the world and wanting it to be more nuanced, you know, to allow for the both and, 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 you know, struggling to find the places in life where that can happen. Um, and I think it's, um, you know, looking the the person who's looking at every moment and, and being like, wow, there's something really beautiful here. And I'm not sure why I deserve, but it's mine. And what can I do to be worthy of that? I think that's what mm-hmm. I was thinking about. Yeah. Do you think you were meant to be a poet, Ash? I think there's no way out of it for me in this current configuration. Oh, oh wow. I've never heard anyone say that before. No way out. Well, um, I, that could be either I, good or bad. You know, both and, both and. <laughs> Um, I, I think that um, through through whatever you know configuration of my current experiences and life and interests and what has happened, like uh, I just I am one, and and I really love it. I love it very much, and um, I I definitely would say I'm meant to express myself. I think we all are, and and poetry is is the thing I fell into this time around that feels the most native, like it's the most native to me. Like it's like the, the way that works to, to really get at the things that are difficult to express, you know? Mm-hmm. What surprises you most about being a poet? I think what surprises me if I'm, if I'm really kind of committed to my free writing practice, I'll mm-hmm. get 
surprised very often at what, you know, you can call it the muse or you can call it subconscious or whatever, but like what it, what it wants and needs to write about is not always what my logical brain would think um, mm-hmm. I, I need to write about. I think that surprises me quite often. You know, you speak with such conviction. You know, we have to, uh, this next part of the program is my favorite, my personal favorite. And it's primarily called a mini, M-I-N-I, poetry concert. This is where you share three or four poems back to back, no interruptions from me. Okay. No I'm just reading right. a set here, huh? <laughs> yes. Okay. Now on stage. All right. Taking it from here. Um, so the first poem I'm going to read is What I Apprehend of Time Travel. One. Grandfather's 25-year-old cactus blooms a new flower. African violets endure up to 50 years. It is so much pressure to care for the plants of a ghost. Can you tell me who even has only one phantom? Raucous over here, spirits tip pots over. I can live off petrichor, do my best not to prick myself, at least not in the same place again. I know too much of invisible. Love, poison, never catch first rain on my tongue. Tell us keep your body pure and nature helps us fail. All the arms we have are umbrellas or linked with comrades. We didn't ask for war. We wanted wild. Hum. Look through the moan. Ask, is it even mine? Monsoons roar. Small feral sounds look for our mouths. Three. We will be sharp with our mothers. Even after tarot admonishes, soften a heart. Yes, you, child, gifted vocabulary, trauma, epigenetic healing. Wail at your responsibility. Be imperfect. Reduce harm. Start with bird spikes, bumps that stop sleep, signs that lie this place is not for. Howl at pleasure. Admit, we've all been a pigeon and a tired person. Four, you will stir for before, barbaric past, before in Eden, before I could touch them, before, now, now, after, before, not tall enough to reach anti-sink, yellow rose, wallpapered French bathers. Now she is an invisible vessel among what is hers, looks over all I water, drink from, care for. This is good. Tell me of the apparition I am. Home, I protect. Us, beautiful prepared for our own demise. 
BLM counter demonstration to a Proud Boy rally. Vanport, Oregon, September 26, 2020. For a while, we lived that revolution. Follow both of them in riot gear. No stopping now, I say. It hits me before it hits me. Oh, how often do I hover just outside? Radio crackle, broadcasted warning. Proud boys on the move. Tension, big fields, stacked cars, few exits, locked portageons, dumpster to pee behind. And this is all true. Spies, no real names, police, affinity groups, tactics, probably guns, visible weapons are a liability, black bodies, so much ballistic armor. Maybe even the memory is dangerous. This dream, that body, convinced of future we may never land in. Little we each know to do our part. Head to toe black block, but dope sneakers. Calls for eye contact and trust. Gravity, real time, history, in rib cages, heartbeats. I know exactly what this city looks like. I can't shake that I really love you, stranger. Have you ever felt more human, more flawed and unstoppable? There is a radiant black woman live yellow bloom in her bulletproof vest. When I ask you to imagine a flower, the whole thing fits right there in your mind. Open your eyes, hope you survive. And in between these two poems, I'd, I'd like to acknowledge that I've been very lucky to learn about liberation from countless black yes. and brown thought leaders. Um, teachers mm -hmm. and writers, and some of those include Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, Bell Hooks, Octavia Butler, Lamarad Owens, Resba Manikem, um, Adrian Marie Brown, and many, many others. And uh, this next poem is called Relieved to be Small in a Wave that Will Never Relent, and it begins with an epigraph from Adrian Marie Brown. I touch my own skin. And it tells me that before there was any harm, there was miracle. Only one pair of orange eyes in under thicket of rage and hard to get breath into belly, even harder to breathe through boot soles to get breath into earth under pavement, under temples to far off power and history swamped at our ankles, now eye level. No way to see or understand from inside. Voice shouts, take a deep breath and remember you can trick your body into thinking it's breathing. Let little sips of air out slowly. Remember when the gas comes, walk, don't run. Remember pulsing. Remember why this necessary. Remember why it needs your whole body. Adjust your privilege, gas mask fogging, nettle buzzes. Stay together, stay tight. 
we do this every night. One does not want to be singled out, no saviors. And even if one appears, they'll be thwarted by paranoia, ulcers, or our own government. Trust we will not look away. We are made of uncountable white hot sins and take grievance, prone skin, eyes. Wow. Okay. Do I get the first thing you want to talk first? I told you this, right? You pause and I jump right in. Okay, yeah. Please share the fourth one. Okay. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. I text midnight. But can novelty be our gender? You reply, 11 exclamation points. Ha, if it can be, that's what I am. In daylight, our soft anatomy is unambiguous. At Collins Beach for respite from revolution, questioning when is right to rest? What is right to do? Pulled between neck-high submersions in fast-moving river and crawling back goosebumps to sun. My body bare and warming. Your skin dancing in ink that won't wash. Charcoal finger-painted from found fire log. Leaf-filtered light exactly how I like. Imperfection abounds, but here you are. A renewed sliver of sublime creature to soak in. Novel, ball cap, half-hiding, gaze. Child chases father, splashes water, bottoms less bronze than tangled limbs. My ankles still bruise from less lethal ammunition. I can't forget outside forces intend to separate skin from element, skin from skin, sand, water, curious fly. Body, creation, origin, perfection, what isn't? We can't ignore when wind picks up or what lies ahead. I'm collarbone deep in the unknown again. You offer myths our past selves wrote to tend our future. I don't know where I came from, but I do know during this very long week, naked by the Columbia is the closest I'm getting back to it. When we first get here, you say, we've come so far. This might as well be another realm. And it is. All right. Thank you. I'm done now. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay. You know, I was sitting here wondering, as I was listening, I was thinking, why is Ash's poem so different than what I've heard from many over the course of the last five years. Why? I mean, I was struggling trying to figure that out. And I, and I finally, it finally hit me that when I listen to your, your poems, every word is important. There are no filler words in my mind. <laughs> what do you think of that, that, that? 
I think that it takes a lot of work, and yes, that was the goal. <laughs> My <Mike Ingram. laughs> I, I feel very seen. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, I'm a good one. <laughs> it is so distinct. I think that publishing is important to people who write, mm-hmm. and I think it's important because um, it's like completing a cycle. You know, if we write these things and stick them in a, in a box somewhere, it's kind of like a tree that only got halfway through, you know, putting its leaves out or something. Like, it, there's, mm-hmm. there's a full life cycle to an artistic process, and I feel like publishing, finding community, sharing these things in the world as part of that life cycle, and it really opens up the space for the next thing. And so um, I'm committed to it in in the way that it opens space. Um, it's very important to me. Um, and it's very important to me to help others um, find ways to publish because I think it does open space for more creativity and more life and, and more art to get created. We've reached the end of our poetic journey. That's good. I love your name. No, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Would you favor the audience and me with one last piece before we go? Do Do you want a short, punchy one or a longer, meandering one? Whatever you'd like to share, whatever, whatever in your spirit. Yeah. Whichever one. Let's see here. I think I'm going to read. I don't read this one very often, but I think I'm going to read it. All right. This poem's called Awake. It was written after Julia Bray. Awake. No time for sheep. Name beings who heal across futures, past, great distance, endless list, certain to defeat insomnia. Do not count ones who believe they are healers. Short list, awake in the dark. Don't let it be some secret. We rely on cosmic backup. What appears on time from some other place. I believe in you. Do we need any other belief at all? Lapping ocean, you and you and you. New dream, us unshakable, sure. Don't you hear the same song? We never mistake ourselves for imposters again. Ash, how active are you on social media? I attempted to find you on Facebook, but couldn't. And not to know 
how does how does social media affect the way that you write? Yeah, um, I use Instagram, so you can um, find me at okay. just just like grow on Instagram, and I'll I'll email mm-hmm. you the the at text. You have okay. that, um, mm-hmm. and I think um, there's there's a lot of really great poetry to be found on Instagram, um, and I think okay. that I I find a lot of inspiration there. Uh, I enjoy yes. reading poetry there. I enjoy kind of mm-hmm. reading. Poetry, it's a great place to read poetry piecemeal, like just like mm-hmm. a piece from this person and a piece from that person as opposed to a whole book. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure how social media affects my craft in ways other than that. I'm not, I, I, I struggle with understanding how, how to, how to talk to the algorithm, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm much better yeah. at talking to humans. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to share with you that Instagram scares me for some reason. I don't know why. You're not sure why. Yeah. It's just all those little windows no. into things. <laughs> it, could, no, it could be. I, I don't know what that's Okay. <laughs> Enough of that. <laughs> so again, listeners can stay in touch through Instagram. Yeah, right. I mean that's that's the best place that I'm on social, and then uh, my website's uh, ashgood.com, and you can get a hold of me there and read more poems and um, see some of the other stuff I'm up to. So, in terms of finding us clumsy gods, where do they go? Um, I always love to tell people to go to bookshop.org. Um, that's a place you can buy it online to support independent book retailers. Um, you can check your local shop by. Um, uh, Oh gosh, the name just flew out of my head that is associated with bookshop. <laughs> <laughs> Let me find it here. Um, obviously, it's on all uh, Barnes and Noble and Amazon and all of those places. Um, but bookshop is is um, like a really great place if you want to try to support more independent stores. All right. What's next for you, Ash? Where do you go from your creative? Um, I'm still generating a lot of work, but I'm not really editing right now. I'm kind of taking a breather mm-hmm. after this. Mm-hmm. And um, my, I, I co-founded a press here in Portland um, called First Matter Press, and um, we're a four-person um, nonprofit collective, and we work really hard to publish um, never-before-published poets and genre-expanding writers. Um, so we're selecting our next cohort. That's um, where a lot of my focus is right now. And uh, we just released books from five new poets in September. So we're doing a lot of work to get their work out in the world as well. I wish I could work with you. Because <laughs> there's something about you that is so incredible. Oh, well, you're very sweet. I'm, I'm having a great time. I'm like my best self right now because we're just hanging out, you know, nerding out about poetry. <laughs> so it's very easy. It's, to... it's so, that's so funny. <laughs> I feel... And I've never felt like this before. Like you're sitting right behind me. It's like I'm turning my head towards you, just a little bit on the side, telling you the question, and you're answering it. It's almost like you're right here. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm serious. Well, I, I'm playing into time and space travel, so I'm here for it. Yeah. I like it. Because we're, we're pretty far. We're about, we're, it's all good. we're about as far apart as you can get on this earth like, in the country, you know? So. Oh, I should have shared with you. When I stumbled over your your bio, 
there's a running joke among some of the people who've been on this show, whether I'll stumble over a bio. So tonight I lost. <laughs> I feel like they, they, uh, they must have psyched you out before you even got started. <laughs> it is a running. <laughs> will he or will he not? <laughs> because I don't ordinarily read bios. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, that's enough of that. All right. I want to thank you for sharing your gift with us. You write incredibly well. I usually ask the question, what do you think makes your work stand out from others? How are you different? I found out how you're different. It's the way you craft your words. That makes you different. That makes you special. Um, I like my little heart's just beaming right now because if my work can mm-hmm. answer that question for me and I don't have to answer, that is just like mm, that is everything for me. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for spending time with us. When you write your next book, you're welcome back. Actually, you're welcome back anytime. Anytime oh, you want to come back. <laughs> All right. Well, some if, of your poetry I... with us. If I haven't come oh, back yeah. and you're missing me, like just just invite me. I'll, I'll come on. We'll, <laughs> well, we'll have I a hang. It'll be I good. Will do that. Yes, <laughs> I will do that. All right, everybody. We've <laughs> made it through another program. Let's clumsy God's good people. There's something different about it. Check it out. Check it out. All right. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ash. And as I share every week, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everybody. Bye, Ash. Bye. (laughs) Thanks so much. All right. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at QLPOR.com